So intermittent fasting as a term, I think is a little too confusing because there are lots of different types of intermittent fasting. But I think when people use that term, what they really mean is time-restricted eating. A lot of people call it time-restricted feeding. I don't feed, I eat, so I call it TRE, time-restricted eating. And that means within a 24-hour period, you are compressing the number of hours that you eat. And I usually start to call it a compressed window when you're fasting for at least 14 hours a day and only eating within a 10-hour window. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Wellness, a podcast brought to you by the Columbia Association. I'm Dr. Harry Oaken, a community physician for over 35 years and the Columbia Association's medical director. I am proud to be working with the Columbia Association for over a decade to assist in their mission and my mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. It's my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Dr. Louis Malino. He's both a colleague and a friend. Dr. Malino is a board certified internist and also boarded in lipidology, and that's the study of lipids and clinical hypertension. Lou graduated from the University of Maryland Medical School with honors. He is also a member of Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honor Society, and he received his internal medicine training at Stanford University. He then returned to Baltimore to establish his practice. Dr. Malino is also the Director of Education and Clinical Excellence for MDVIP, a nationwide network of retainer-type physicians. He also sits on several scientific advisory boards for biotechs. These involve aging, longevity, nutrition, liquid biopsy, and cardiac imaging. Year after year, Dr. Malino has received the top doc award from Baltimore Magazine and was also voted one of the top 25 concierge medicine physicians in the country by Concierge Medicine Today. Dr. Malino's interests are broad. I have worked with him for many years on multiple health-related projects, and I'm always learning something new each time we get together. Lou focuses on ways to improve and extend the healthy part of his patients' lives. Now, one tool that Lou and I have spoken extensively about is fasting, and that's what we're going to explore today. So welcome, Dr. Malino. A couple of words of fa about fasting. So fasting has been around for thousands of years, and it was Plato that first said, I fast for greater physical and mental efficiency. And I found that to be true, and I'm sure you have too. And another interesting quote before we start our discussion came from um, Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, a little starvation can really do more for the average sick man than the best medicines and best doctors. So let's launch from there. Lou, you've had so much experience with fasting and fasting as its applications. Tell us a little bit about your perspective of how fasting is helpful for good health. Well, thanks for having me, number one. I really appreciate it. And I do think we're kindred spirits. We think the same way. We operate the same way. So it's, it's great to have a discussion about something we both deploy in our practices. I think about fasting broadly as you know, part of a toolkit to help my patients keep kicking butt for as long as possible. You know, and the, the toolkit is not just fasting. I, I sort of see myself as my patient's portfolio manager. And the question is, how do you have to build your accounts? What do your accounts have to look like? How do you have to allocate your time and effort to keep kicking butt till you're 90? You've got to eat right. You've got to exercise. You've got to fast a little. You've got to take the right supplements. You've got to sleep enough. You've got to mitigate stress in your life. 
But fasting definitely needs to get some allocation for those people that are young enough and willing enough to do it. It's just, it's such an important tool. And there are so many different ways to do it. And I'm sure we'll get into those ways. One of the interesting things to think about when I talk to my patients about fasting is the notion is sometimes difficult for them to even process, but we forget actually how our health lives have changed. And for literally thousands of years, people have in agrarian lifestyles, people have fasted and not even knowing that they're fasting. Look, absolutely. I mean, we are all living in the world of overnourishment. You know, you see it. No one has ever sat in front of me and said, Doc, I don't understand why I have disease fill in the blank. I've incorporated fasting into my wellness strategy my entire life. I see diseases because people eat too much, not because people fast too much. And I'm sure you would agree with that. You know, so yeah, so I, I absolutely agree. The hard part about fasting is, you know, number one, you can't listen to your friends and family who are going to tell you you're nuts for doing this <laughs> because you're not. Um, and I, I think that um, it's psychologically difficult to fast. It's not physically difficult. We are wired to be able to go a long time without food. We all did it you know, long before, like you said, agriculture came around 10,000 years ago, we would go a week with water only. And I still have patients who will do one week water only fast. The only hard part about that is the psychology of it, not the physiologic you know, problem. Yeah, the psychology is, is very interesting. And I think one of the things I've heard you talk about, and I've experienced myself, is when you fast and you get into ketosis, where you basically don't have any carbohydrate or glycogen or glucose to metabolize, you start breaking down your uh, fat, is the mental clarity you can sometimes get. Absolutely. Yeah, I know it. So the first two days are challenging, you know, but once you get past those first 48 hours, and like you said, you start to access what nature created as an amazing long-term fuel source, which is the fat we're all lugging around our entire lives and never getting access to because we we all run off of our one gallon gas tank constantly, the stomach. But when you really incorporate fasting and really or cut down carbohydrates, you'll start to burn that body fat and the chemicals that are made, which are ketones, they have amazing mood elevating properties, amazing appetite suppressing properties. The only food plan that I've ever been on that has made me not a slave to my appetite is the ketogenic diet. It's very hard to deploy that. It's just a very hard diet to stick with, but it is an amazingly effective appetite suppressant, but you will get into ketosis fasting hard enough. Yeah. It, the durability of any diet is for how long you can maintain it is always a challenge. But I think one thing that I like to talk to patients about is that most people are just not going to starve, right? Because every pound of fat you have is 3,500 calories, right? And most, totally. people have, and most people have lots of pounds to access. It's a matter of teaching your physiology, your own individual physiology to get into that, that storage of energy. So, yeah, absolutely. So you had mentioned, you know, first one or two days of a fast, but we'll talk about the different types of fasting and how, or time-restricted eating and how valuable that is in just a moment. But can you just speak a little bit about what happens when you initially start a fast? And let's say, let's say somebody's going to do a full 24 hour fast. What can somebody expect? 
So, I mean, I, I sort of break it down into, I think the, the first thing we talk about is what's called the post-absorptive phase of fasting. So that's, you've let the one gallon gas tank, your stomach go empty. You know, you're four hours after a meal, stomach is empty. Now your body's got to figure out how to keep blood sugar up. Cause that's the number one goal. You can't get hypoglycemic. And so, you know, once the one gallon gas tank is empty, sugar and insulin start to drop. And when they start to drop enough, you start to burn stored sugar. There's only one organ you can access for stored sugar to keep your blood sugar up. And that's the sugar that's stored in the liver as glycogen. And you'll burn that for 18 to 24 hours, and then you're going to deplete that supply. And that it contains about 400 to 500 calories of sugar. So it's about 125 grams of sugar in your liver. You're going to burn through that. And then for a very brief period, your body starts to cobble together non-sugar chemicals, substrates, like amino acids from muscle and from other places to make sugar. But it would be really dumb of evolution to design us to start breaking down muscle during a fast because then we're not going to be able to chase prey or track prey. So evolution invented this amazing trick called ketosis, which is you've gone long enough. Now you're going to start to your insulin levels drop low enough. And once your insulin levels drop, you start to mobilize that stored fat. And once those stored fats start to break down, half of it goes to make ketones, which are a new fuel that you can run off of. It's a more efficient fuel. And then the other half called glycerol, that's what takes over for protein. You make all your sugar out of glycerol so that you're tapping into a safe fuel source. And you can, I mean, the world record for water only fasting, you may know this is 382 days. It was a French man named Angus Barbieri, who was 452 pounds. His goal was to get to 180 pounds. And this was in the 1970s. He made it. Took him 382 days, water only, electrolytes, minerals, doctor supervision, perfectly healthy. So when my patients say, I can't make it 16 hours, when we start to talk about time-restricted eating, I show them the picture of Angus and I'm like, come on, you know, so. But anyway, that's the playbook for how our physiology protects us. Yeah. And when Angus lost all that weight, interestingly, I guess towards the end, he started breaking down some of the protein. So his, I think we've talked about this before. You told me that uh, he didn't get any saggy skin. He contracted uh, yes, his skin because he, at the, in the end of this, he, yep. he needed to get into some protein stores where the skin was. Yeah, no, there's an, there's, there's just such a ton of connective tissue and skin and he just accessed it. Yeah. Even me, I mean, I know the audience can't see me. I'm about 150 pounds, maybe, maybe 10% body fat. So I consider myself fairly lean and I calculated, I probably have 60 to 80,000 calories of stored fat on my body. I could run marathons off of that without any fuel if I could access it. And that's the key is doing things that allow you access. Right. The um, other thing that's really interesting when you fast that you might want to comment on is how it increases brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is yeah. not only increased by exercise, but is, I think, affected by fasting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, BDNF, I, I just, you know, I try not to get too much into the weeds with patients, but I mean, it's basically a fertilizer for new nerve cells in the brain, new brain like cells. Like miracle growth. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's fertilizer. And, you know, we were all taught when we were growing up, oh, you, you're only born with X many brain cells when you drink in college and you do all these things that damage them. That's it. They're gone forever. Now we know that's not true. You can grow new brain cells and probably the best ways to do it. Exercise is the very best way, but fasting absolutely can help. Yeah. And actually combining that together is yep. also a really terrific thing. And we'll talk a little bit about that shortly. And then of course, there's the change when you fast, your microbiome changes. Yep. And then it affects the aging pathways. Very much so. Yeah. Every single cell in our body has things called sensors, nutrient sensors. And there are five different nutrient sensors. And once you start signaling them, tripping these wires, good things happen that make us healthier and preserve us. We were all wired to survive stressful periods. And fasting is a stress. And look, humans are made to live, not to die, all animals. And we are made to survive fasting and we actually get healthier when we fast. That is the time when your body says, you know what, I don't have enough substrate to grow. I better repair the healthy cells I have and maybe I'll prune some of these old cells that are just hanging around, causing inflammation, might lead to disease. I'll use them for fuel, for protein, to build these new healthy cells. And that's what happens. It's sort of spring cleaning time. You know, and the fasting that we see when people get ill is fascinating. I was having a discussion with an oncologist about three or four years ago, and we were talking about bone marrow transplant patients. And, you know, when people have bone marrow transplants, they go through an amazing amount of chemotherapy that really beats them down. And they essentially don't eat for a couple of weeks. Yep. One of the things that I think is so amazing is when you fast is how you get this new stem cell production, which goes out and repairs us. So one other thing I wanted to mention, and you probably had this experience as well, you know, one of the things that drives people from being able to attain a healthy weight is their pleasure center that's constantly calling them. You can have that. Okay. You're not going to start your healthy plan, healthy eating plan today. You can do it tomorrow, have that donut. So I think there's also a little bit of a resetting that occurs in that part of your brain that deals with pleasure. Any thoughts on that? No, I agree. It's, it's hard. You know, if I said to a patient, you are forbidden from ever eating Brussels sprouts again, I'm not getting any argument. Right. But if I said no carbohydrates, like no bread, no bagels, no sweets, no treats, you know, that's hard because those things, like you said, they produce dopamine. Dopamine makes you feel good. It's a reward. And so, yeah, it's tough. And I think the first two weeks are the hardest because once you sort of get past those two weeks, your brain sort of, you know, it changes and that's when it becomes easier. So yeah, the, the first two week on ramp. So this has been a great discussion so far. And now I think it's time to talk about the different types of fasting. First, let's talk about what a lot of people refer to as intermittent fasting. But now I think the more appropriate term is time restricted fasting. Tell us yeah. about your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I, I break fasting. So intermittent fasting as a term, I think is a little too confusing because there are lots of different types of intermittent fasting. But I think when people use that term, what they really mean is time-restricted eating. A lot of people call it time-restricted feeding. I don't feed, I eat. So I call it TRE, time-restricted eating. And that means within a 24-hour period, 
you are compressing the number of hours that you eat. And I usually start to call it a compressed window when you're fasting for at least 14 hours a day and only eating within a 10 hour window. So, you know, I think a lot of people, probably the most popular version of this is called the 16-8, where you fast for 16 and you eat for eight hours. And the magic of time-restricted eating is not the late start, it's the early finish. I always tell my patients, and there are studies that show this, and it's impractical to eat from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., but that's a way healthier window and you're gonna get more results doing that than eating from, let's say, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. Even though that's a fine window, it's certainly better than eating from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. You know, so bottom line is time-restricted eating, we are shaving time off of eating. And the magic of that is the fact that on average, people are eating about 350 less calories a day when they go from eating, you know, from 12 to 14 hours a day to eight to 10 hours a day. So yeah, you know, a lot of my patients, I sort of tell them what I do, which I do that for four or five days a week. I start at 11 a.m. and I finish eating at 7 p.m. Nothing good metabolically happens after about 7.30 p.m. And we, there's a great book called The Circadian Code, written by the world's expert on sort of time-restricted eating, Sachin Panda. And that would be a great book if patients wanted to learn more. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I'm a 12 to about 7.30 person myself. Yep. And one of the things that I want to throw out there with time-restricted eating is the value, at least for me personally, of getting my exercise in the morning fasting. Yep. Because after I've fasted, particularly if I do a high intensity interval training mode, which I do at least two or three times a week, I'm causing some chemical signals from the muscles that I've stressed to signal my pituitary gland to release growth hormone. And of course, when you're fasting, your insulin levels are low and I'm going to get that growth hormone burst, which is going to help me maintain my muscles. It's going to increase my metabolism. And interestingly, you can turn it off really quickly if you decide after you're going to exercise to have a power bar or a Gatorade, because that causes a brisk rise in insulin. And then the whole thing, all that hard work, you know, you're, you're actually losing on. So um, uh, yeah, and I think the magic of exercising fasted, uh, in addition to the growth hormone benefit you mentioned, is that you want to burn the most fat. And you are not going to release any fat if your insulin level is high. Right. And I check insulin in all my patients. Anything above nine is a high insulin. As soon as you eat, your insulin skyrockets. So if you eat and then you exercise, it is going to be very hard to access stored fat. So you want to exercise at a time when your insulin is at its lowest, which is fasted. Yeah, which speaks to why it's really important that in some of the sugars that you eat, that they don't cause a really tremendous risk rise in glucose. And that speaks to the glycemic index that we've talked about. Yep, absolutely. The other thing, I think the one mistake that I see made when people start to time restrict their food is when you're eating in fewer hours, you've got to be really careful to get enough protein. Because if you don't, and you're not strength training, so I really am, am breathing down my patient's neck about weightlifting and strength training, especially when they start to fast, you could potentially lose muscle. And I see this more in middle-aged women than in, in other groups of patients where they're just not getting enough protein in, in that time-restricted window. So you, because you end up giving up a meal, 
you typically give up breakfast, you eat lunch and dinner, maybe you have a snack. You want to make sure that that, that snack has a decent amount of protein. To see if you agree with the protein situation, because I think that Americans get often way too much protein, which is not so good for their aging and not so good for their kidney function. So I usually tell people I want them to get about 0.3 to 0.35 grams per pound of protein per day. And that for the average person usually works out to be like an average man, that's going to be 45 to 60 grams of protein a day. Yeah, which is definitely on the low end. If you've got somebody who's working out intensely, mm-hmm. I'll bump that up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I usually go by sort of grams per kilogram. Okay. And I'll usually say, you know, we want around 1.6 grams per kilogram yeah. if you're really, you know, kicking butt in the gym. And then yeah. on certain days that you're doing that, you may need more. Right. And of course, you know, in the gym, that's a whole nother discussion about how to work out. But yeah, well, that's the most common time-restricted eating. Let's uh, make some comments about alternate day fasting. Yeah, so alternate day fasting, there are there are two ways to do that. So alternate day fasting means you eat ad lib, so you, you just eat normally one day, and then the next day you eat nothing. So normal, nothing, normal, nothing. So it's like the nothing sandwich, you know? So that's the alternate day fasting. And then there's modified alternate day fasting. Modified is what I deploy more. So modified is if you're a woman, on the fast days, you get five to 600 calories. If you're a man, six to 700 calories. And it can't be fat because fat will get you there in a heartbeat. It's got to be like chicken and broccoli, you know, protein and vegetables that, and you sort of have to just sort of meter it out throughout the day. That is a tool I don't use as much, but I think it's an amazing tool to reverse diabetes, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance. And we've got a lot of studies that show that. So now how about next type of fasting? Five days to two days. Yeah. So this is you eat ad lib, you eat normally five days, and then two days you're going to eat those five to seven hundred calories. Also, an amazing way to, you know, fasting in general, whether it's time restricted or alternate day or five two, it's going to drop weight. It's going to drop sugar. It's going to drop blood pressure. It's going to drop cholesterol. It's going to drop insulin. It's going to signal all these longevity pathways that we briefly mentioned. And I think 5-2 is way, it's way easier to suffer for two days a week than to suffer every day and limit your calories every day. So the land of calorie counting, where you're just every single day, you're going to eat 25% less calories. I don't think there are any studies that show that that's better than something like the 5-2 plan. In fact, there's a study showing the 5-2 plan may be better than that. And patients are much easier to adhere to that. And those days don't have to be continuous. They can be- You can separate them. Right. And then of course, on the days that you're eating ad lib, we still believe that you should eat healthy. Yep. Uh, You're not not, eating whatever you want, going to the bakery and having five cookies and a slice of pie. Okay. No. Yeah. yeah. So it's back to good health, you know, be careful with the glycemic index of carbohydrates that you're eating and have plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables and good sources yeah. of fat. Now let's talk about the fasting mimicking diet, something you and I have worked on and talked about for years. Yeah. So this is the third type of fasting. So there's time-restricted eating, periodic fasting, which is sort of, you know, more than 24 hours without food, And, you know, that's what we just talked about. That would be real alternate day fasting. I'll water only fast people for 48 hours before chemotherapy. We didn't talk about that because that 
makes your healthy cells resilient to the impact of chemo and radiation. You actually do better when you get treated and it makes the treatment more effective. The chemo is more effective when you step into it after a 48 hour water only fast. So fasting mimicking diets are, you know, the one that's commercial we know about, it's called Prolon. You can order this to your home. You can have your doctor order it and save you a little bit of money. This is a five day box of food and it has all the food you're gonna eat for five days. Day one is 1100 calories, 25 grams of protein, which is not much. That's Thanksgiving. Days two, three, four, and five are 750 calories and 18 grams of protein. The magic of this fasting mimicking diet is not the calorie restriction, it's the protein restriction. Because when you are taking such an important resource and making it so scarce, the old damaged inflamed cells that lead to diseases down the road, they get a target painted on them and they are selectively destroyed during those five days. And then when you start to eat again on day six, your bone marrow releases these brand new stem cells that head out to replace, you know, the empty spots where some of those old damaged cells were just pruned. So it's an amazing tool with excellent data. And that's something that my wife and I do every four to six months. Most healthy patients, I'll say, you definitely want to do this every six months. If you're sicker, you can do it more often. And it's, it's amazingly beneficial. Yeah, it's a great tool. And, you know, you know I, I do it a couple of times a year too. And then sometimes I'll just do a very brief fast with sort of the components of that for one or two days. But I think the five-day fasting mimicking diet is a great tool if you have inflammation, if you also just need a kickstart to try to get sure. back to that weight you feel most comfortable for. And I think we're on the same page that a lot of times when I introduce this fasting mimicking diet concept, after you go through the five days, that's a good time to then start time-restricted eating. So that six-day can actually start with a fast and your first refueling can be in that maybe you're doing like you and I do 11 or 12 to eight can be a very light meal. And then you have your regular meal. So yeah, it's a great on-ramp to right. starting something new because it's easy. It's scripted. And, and it also teaches patients that they can deal with hunger. They're not going to completely devolve. You know, plenty of people have done this. I've only had one person out of hundreds not finish it. Everybody feels a sense of accomplishment. They've also come out with a one-day kit for $28. And that's an easy way. If you, if you want to do something like the 5-2, you can do those two days with the Prolon one-day kit. Or you could, if you really wanted to do alternate day fasting and you were spending more than 28 bucks a day on food, you could easily plug that into the alternate day because that's about 700 calories. And then there are home kind of remedies that you can do if you want it. And there's plenty of information that if you search for home fasting mimicking diet that involves some proprietary soups that you can buy. So it's totally doable. So fasting is a great tool. And I do think that it helps to have some medical supervision, particularly when you start it. Let's just give me a follow-up, finish up with the message, the big message you want our patients to get. Yeah, I mean, I think the big message is fasting is one of the tools that needs to be in your toolbox if you want to really live your healthiest life. Because look, in today's world, we're all overnourished. It's just, to me, when I think about food, there are three things you can control. How much you eat, that's the land of calorie counting. 
what you eat. That's the land of dietary wars. My diet's the best. No, my diet's the best. And then you can control when you eat. By far, the easiest thing to control is when you eat, you know, because then you have to think less about the harder things like what am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? That is a great message. Thanks for that closing. So, and thanks for being a guest. And I hope to have you on in the future to talk about a, a couple of other things. Yeah, for so, sure. This is Dr. Harry Oaken for the Columbia Association sponsored Finding Your Wellness podcast. Thanks for listening. You can tune into our podcast on dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. That's dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. Thanks again. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.